What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, we are back. <laughs> it's it's uh it's been a minute, man. What you uh what you been up to? Yeah, so we're back. I know we do our back rankings every year, but we're actually back this time. We are back. Um, it it's been funny because we, if you look at it, we took an entire month off by itself. January, you heard nothing from us. You heard from us at the very beginning of December, and this is the very end of February. So we took only one some month time. off. Yeah. So uh, the you know we came to the end of college football season, and everything, and we did the recap of the championship weekend and the preview. But as things got close, you were buying a house. We were having a baby. <laughs> um, you know, we kind of got caught up. Holidays. And then you think about it. I mean, we got caught up being fans ourselves. You know, it was one of those moments where we were just enjoying it. We both had very busy schedules around that time. So, you know, we decided to just kind of go with the flow. That flow has led us to here where we both have tried for about two weeks to get on the page and now we're here. So I'm excited to be back. This is what we love to do. Um, we're going to be doing this all off season, just like normal, but yeah, this was a fun time in the life. Uh, we had a baby two days after the national championship game. Um, you guys bought a house about a week ish before the national championship game. So uh, if anyone's ever had a baby or bought a house, uh, you understand all the extras that go into this. In addition to obviously this not being our our main bread winning account, uh, yeah, not by the... any means. So <laughs> we, uh, you know, you got prioritized, which got prioritized. But hey, we're back. We're back. We're gonna do at least one episode every week uh, from now until the start of the regular season. You know, I, I sympathize with Josh Pate. No off season in college football which means we've missed a ton of news, <laughs> even though it's not been tremendously long. I feel like we are deep in the hole. So we're, we're not going to try to dig ourselves completely out, right? Like we're not, we're not going to try to uh, just pack everything we've missed into one episode, you know, but uh, we do need to recap the national championship game. I yes. know last year we, you know, we did it right after the game. We talked about Alabama's historic season. I mean, I still think the greatest team of all time, that 2020 Alabama team. But, Daniel, let's talk about this national championship. And if if our listeners are okay with it, I'm going to, j- just for a few minutes, I'm going to take off the the unbiased cap you and I try to wear. Daniel, you're wearing the T-shirt. Look, we you, we you and I – We've got it all. You and I have grown up Georgia fans. And I, I want to less – you know, it's been a while, so I'm not going to break this thing down statistically. Everyone's seen the replay and watched the game, but – like, as a fan, Daniel, as, as a as someone who grew up a Georgia fan, I mean, Daniel, you are twenty nine. You're thirty. You're th- 30. I was like, wait, we're five years apart. Here. No, yeah. <laughs> as someone who's thirty years old, <laughs> that means when you were born, Georgia was already in an eleven year drought, <laughs> championship wise. Uh, Georgia breaks a forty one year drought. Um, Daniel, someone who grew up a Georgia fan, what did the win mean? You know, like but from a fan perspective, I think this is interesting. I think it's fun to listen to fans, especially when something like this happens where you break a drought like this. What did it mean as a fan to watch Georgia, you know, break the curse? Right. 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 Yeah. For me, it meant um, that Georgia, that it was possible, you know, Um, and that is something that we had always dreamed of. 
Um, and for a team like Georgia, with the resources that Georgia has, they're always in the conversation. Even when they might have a down year, there's always a path for them to go to the national championship. All those years under Mark Richt where he had elevated the program for where it had been in the late 80s and early 90s, he had made it to basically all that was left was to win a championship. And, um, you know, he laid the groundwork for what Kirby Smart ended up ultimately coming in and doing. Um, and then obviously watching, watching those many times where, you know, the heart breaks and all of that kind of stuff, it makes it mean more when you win it after dealing with all of those losses. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you think about it, it's like the 2007 season where they finished on such a strong push. If there was a playoff, everybody says, oh, they would have probably won it all that year. Yeah, but, you know, one of the greatest things in college football is that the regular season matters, and yeah. they lost two regular season games that year, and that's what prevented them from going to the SEC championship and then eventually to, you know, anything of consequence other than, you know, a, a fun sugar bowl, I'll say. Georgia goes to 2012 SEC championship, and that was – to that point, I never paid attention to it in the sense that, oh, hey, Georgia still has a chance to win a national championship in the SEC championship. Every time before that, they had already had a loss or two or, or whatever the case may be. In that year, they had a loss, but if they beat Alabama, they would have gone as BCS representative to play Notre Dame. So it was like 2012, I really started paying attention to the national championship. And ever since then, it was just like, kept getting kicked in the mouth. So this season, it just kind of came out of, I don't want to say it came out of nowhere because Georgia has been here since Kirby Smart, um, his second year. They've been in the picture in the top five-ish. Um, so for Kirby Smart to be the one that did it, he came back to his alma mater, you know, um, it means something that, you know, Kirby coming in and being the guy that's supposed to get Georgia over the hump um, for him to do it, it validates everything he's done so far. Now you can look back and say he won a Rose Bowl in his second year. He went to the championship in his second year. He didn't win, but, you know, he won a Peach Bowl. He won um, Sugar Bowl. Sugar Bowl, yeah. So he's, he's got all these accomplishments um, tucked under his belt to, you know, then lead him. He's also got that Liberty Bowl, you know, his fresh first year. <laughs> AutoZone Liberty Bowl. Huge. Don't disrespect it. Huge but, Liberty uh, Bowl. Yeah. yeah. So, but all the players that go pro, all those kinds of things, it's just, it's nice to look and say, okay, Georgia won their national championship. I think even as a, just a general college football fan, if you're not a direct rival to Georgia, it's nice to kind of tie a bow on it and say, they're a valid program. You don't have to discount them and say they'll never win because now they've won. And you can just kind of say they're in that elite class. And as long as they keep recruiting the way that they've been and doing what they've been doing, you can't say, yeah, but when they go are number one in recruiting, you can't say, yeah, but they're not going to win a national championship. This team also was kept that streak going for number one recruiting ranking or number one. Uh, every, every number one class since 2010 yes. has won a national championship. They've won it. Yeah. So this kept that going for that 2018 class. Um, and I guess you could throw 2020 in there as well since Georgia was number one then too, but yeah, I mean, it means a whole heck of a lot. Um, and yeah, for the for the record, that's a lot of Alabama teams and then Georgia. <laughs> that's the yeah. only only schools to have number one classes. Well, and but now A&M's got something to figure out for this. This we'll next see if one, they do so. it. They got four years to figure it out. <laughs> but that's uh, that's remarkable. Um, and you know, for for you and I, we're also Braves fans, so it's like 
you know, not to diminish what Georgia did because of the Braves also, but the fact that we bought, we got both this year, it just feels still surreal. Things still haven't really sunk in yet. Um, but yeah, above and beyond, like this is amazing. And I guess also to, the main thing to do it against Alabama, they avenge their one loss this year, at the SEC championship game. They avenge most of their embarrassing losses in the past decade plus. I went to Tuscaloosa in 2007 when Matthew Stafford beat, um, you know, John Parker Wilson and that Nick Saban team, that first team that Nick Saban had where he also lost UL Monroe. So I was there for that, but all the years since it, they haven't won. So this was the first time kind of getting back to that. So it's just, it's fun to watch, you know, talk about balancing college football. This was kind of a balance shifter. Um, and so it gives us something more to talk about going into the next year. Uh, objectively, I think Georgia proves that like three things still matter. One, stars still matter. <laughs> They've always mattered. They matter now. You know, it's funny. Georgia started the year. I don't know what flipped, but in the 24-7, like team talent composite rankings, Alabama started the year at one. About midway through the season, Georgia was ranked number one. So I don't know what flipped there, but – the most talented team in college football won the national championship this year. And two coaching matters. Georgia had guys ready to play. Like if you if you go back to the beginning of that season, Daniel, I mean, you'd have thought the season was over when it was announced, like, hey, Ari Gilbert, not on campus. <laughs> like Darnell Washington, your star tight end, you thought, <laughs> goes down with an injury. Tyke Smith, your starting star, goes down with an injury, the then season. tears his ACL. Yeah. Like, Arian Smith, he's, you know, he goes down for the season. George Pickens wasn't there all season. He, he ended up coming back towards the end of the season. Um, your, your quarterback, let, let's not pretend like Stetson Bennett was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He was good enough to win a championship. He absolutely was good enough to win a championship. But let's not right. pretend they had a fighter pilot at quarterback. Uh, and that brings me to that third point. Like, defense still matters. And th- this defense – won Georgia championship. And I'm glad they did because this defense was historic. And I would argue because, you know, I I think it's this defense. You could go like, you know, like 2001 Miami, 2011 Alabama, as far as historic defenses go. But offenses have never been more explosive in college football than they are now. So the fact that maybe not every stat was better than those teams but the fact that it's close or comparable and then sometimes better, this might've been the greatest defense of all time. So I'm glad Georgia's offense was good enough to win them a championship because it was deserved. It's almost like in 2019, Ohio state's offense, Ohio state's offense this year, (laughs) if they had had a formidable defense could have given anybody a run for their money in the championship game. So I'm glad, uh, you know, Georgia proved those three things still matter. Hey, you know, Barton Simmons used to do a section in 24-7 sports saying, you know, which teams have a fighter pilot at quarterback, which teams have a bus driver, and that championship teams needed a fighter pilot at quarterback. Georgia proved that wrong. They're the first team in the playoff era to not, or, you know, I think that's 2015 Bama with, who was that, Blake Sims? Jacob, Jacob Coker. Coker. Like, they, you know, he wasn't a fighter pilot, but they did it without a fighter pilot at quarterback. So, as a fan, man, it was special. Uh, you know, um, growing up a fan, feeling the weight. Even during the game, I think every Georgia fan felt the weight of when Stetson had his YOLO ball and fumbles, 
I mean, uh, yes, it was a freak play, controversial, whatever. It was a fumble. He recovered it in bounds. It was lucky as heck. But every fo- every college football fan is like, oh, here we go. Like, here well, we go. Well, and when you here lump it, it together, because fans do that as the game goes along, you and I will be like, and this, and this, or that. When you add that to the first play, which it was a forward pass with Bryce Young, yep. uh, where it you know looked like a fumble for a second, yep. and Nakobe De- Dean takes it back. Well, you lump that both of those controversial plays both win Alabama's way. You know, as a Georgia fan, you're looking at that and saying, "Oh, here we go again. Oh mm-hmm. crap! Like it's all against us. There's yep. no you know the refs are against us. This juju, you know, we got bad juju on our side. Like." You know, we're not – no lead is safe, all those kinds of things. I mean, and hey, after that play, Stetson went four for four. I think James Cook had the play of the game with his breakoff run, finally break off a run to get him in the red zone. Uh, I mean, great awareness with the offside, throw that deep ball to A.D. Mitchell. A.D. Mitchell has an unbelievable catch on that play. Uh, true freshman behind the guy's helmet. <laughs> like, just people making plays. And then, of course, Keely Ringo, redshirt freshman, seals it with a pick six and – I mean, the rest is history. So as a fan, super, super, super special. Um, just growing up a Georgia fan, I mean, you know, sport, sports for a lot of people are emotional. And so it, there's there's emotion tied to it. There's memories tied to it. Um, so it, it was very special watching Georgia win it. Um, and as a college football fan, I will say, it, <laughs> having rewatched the game a few times, so much fun watching what were clearly the two best teams in college football just hitting each other in the mouth. Like, mm-hmm. there, there were so many good athletes on the field in that game. Like, just running super fast and hitting each other super hard. And I'm like, yeah, it's a good thing no, neither team has a game after this because they're going to need a month to recover like they right. did after the first game. <laughs> um, so, super great. What a season. Um, and especially for you and me. So, we can put the we can put the unbiased hats back on. <laughs> but – Go dogs forever. We'll always be a fan, um, but we will talk about them as objectively as possible until they win their next national championship. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I will say, now that the dam is broken, I don't think it will be Kirby Smart's last so long as they keep recruiting the way they do. Right. Like, talent will win out. And you got to think about Kirby Smart's only, what is he, 45, 46? Nick Saban will eventually retire. It will happen. He's not going to live forever. So he, he, he will retire and settle He's 100, down. Kirby Smart's like 85. <laughs> yeah. and just, Still coaching. 80. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm projecting forward and thinking, who's going to be the best coach in college football after Nick Saban retires? 75. Again. And, I mean, Kirby Smart's got to be at the top of the list to be in the argument. Like, he, he has solidified himself in the argument. If you could argue, he will be the best coach in college football whenever Nick Saban retires. Like, yeah. so – Phenomenal season. Let's turn the page, Daniel. I know you wanted to talk about a couple of teams that you're excited about with some offseason storylines heading into the 2022 football season. So you got two teams, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did two teams. Um, I mean, I'm excited about a ton of teams, but, you know, Jacob with like recruiting, obviously early signing day and then regular traditional signing day, and then you throw in transfer portal, um, just the movement. And along with coaches, you just get so much movement now. Um, and you get a lot of like secondary movement, like a new coach goes here. So this quarterback leaves or this, mm-hmm. you know, whoever. So um, the one of the teams I'm most excited about is Ole Miss. And it's like, well, they just lost 
Heisman, you know, all everything, Matt Corral and like three running backs all to the NFL. And they're probably all going to get drafted um, or at least be on NFL rosters next year. So it's like, okay, well then they also lose, you know, um, John Reese Plumley, my dude, he's going to probably go be a, a starter down in a uh, central Florida. So what do they do? Well, they go bring Jackson Dart in from USC um, after the, the movement there with, with coaches and quarterbacks and all. Um, and then, so you got, you got a stud quarterback and then what do you need when you, <laughs> when you turn around and hand it off, you need a stud running back. Well, Zach Evans, after um, the movement with TCU, he ends up transferring as well. So I, I'm looking at two guys. Well, Jackson Dart will only be a, a sophomore, but you've got Zach Evans in a money year ready to get paid in the NFL. So he's probably only going to be there one season. And I'm just looking forward to what Kiffin's going to do with those two guys. Zach Evans averaging so, you know, there's like seven yards of carry um, last year for TCU. Um, having a good year, just not really getting talked about because TCU. Now you move him to, into the SEC. Um, he's going to be playing on the big stage. You're going to see him against Alabama. You're going to see him against LSU. You're going to see him against all the major players um, in the West. I guess I need to say Texas A&M as well. Um, you're going to see him against all these people. Um, and they may just have another stud quarterback. So that's one thing with Lane Kiffin where you're going to kind of question. Is he going to be able to recruit well in this age of the transfer portal so long as he can keep developing quarterbacks the way he does – he may keep getting, you know, a bounce back blue chipper every year from one of these schools that, you know, may, he may lose the battle. Well, Kiffin will win with him. So that's one I'm really excited about. Um, next one would be LSU. I'm just like over the moon, excited to see what Brian Kelly's going to do. With- excited or interested? I'm excited. I mean, both. <laughs> it's intriguing. It's intriguing. Like, the marriage that's kind of, it seems like it's maybe not a natural fit, but also what is a natural fit? Because I feel like before Ed O, we didn't really talk about it having to be some like cartoon character of a guy like Les Miles was there, but like, yeah, he was weird. He was eating grass and stuff and he was obviously doing other bad things behind the scenes, but um, like on the field, yeah, he was a little bit weird, but you know, it was like, he's just a football coach. Like it wasn't something crazy so um i'm excited to see i think that that's one thing that lsu has been missing is like like kind of a structure and development of of what they already have which is just a bunch of natural resources so that's going to be fun i almost i don't want to get too early on it but i'm really high on miles brennan this year i really he's been kind of you know going by back and forth and all you know it's He's had ups and downs. He's had injuries and everything. His decision to stay was a really big eye opener for me with with uh, Brian Kelly. Obviously, they bring in Noah Kane. You know, we'll we'll get a deep dive into everything. But Noah Kane, running back from Penn State, he was a, a blue chip top five back when he came out of high school. So, you know, I think they've just got some really good talent in house. They obviously have a good you know good transfers and everything coming in. You know, good uh, Walker Howard quarterback five star coming in freshman so I'm just excited to see what Kelly does with these guys Um, because I do think that the fan base is kind of split on him I think they're excited to have a change because you know they don't want to have another embarrassing season three embarrassing seasons in a row would be 
ridiculous. So um, they're over that. But on the other hand, it's like he's not technically one of their own. And the whole, you know, everybody making fun of him for his fake accent and then, you know, all his his videos and stuff. We're going to we're going to get to the season. And I think that a lot of LSU fans are going to turn into big Brian Kelly fans. My sister-in-law is a uh, LSU fan and her family. They don't like Brian Kelly just yet. So um, I'm interested to see if that turns for the better as the season goes on. Brian Kelly spent 12 years at Notre Dame. He had double-digit wins one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times and played for and won national championship, went to two playoffs. I mean, again, it's really impressive because Notre Dame can't recruit at the highest level. I, I don't think they can. Like, I don't think they can They can be a tier one recruiting because of the level of school they are. Mm-hmm. I think they're a two, tier two recruiting school. But – yeah, I think theatrics aside, he's a dang good football coach. And I'm excited to see when actual football happens and we can put the theatrics of recruiting aside and like everyone can talk about how funny it is and whatever. When it gets to Saturday in the fall, what's LSU doing? Are they dis? Because I think Brian Kelly coaches disciplined football. And so right. like, I just think he he's a good program runner. I think so. Uh, you know, I'm intrigued. I've always wondered what would Brian Kelly do in the SEC? Now we get to find out. That the is SEC so fun. West, man, is just like <laughs> that's just so fun. Like every little intricate detail, like give me everything SEC West this year. So I love it. So two teams I want to hit on. I mean, Daniel, you mentioned Brian Kelly at LSU. That, that you know, that's one one example of a major head coach at a major university leaving to go to a different school. And for the record, I do think. LSU is a much better job than Notre Dame. And I think every school that this happened to, you know, three, I think every coach went to a better job. Mm. So the, the other two, of course, Lincoln Riley going from Oklahoma to USC and Mario Cristobal going from Oregon to Miami. So one, it's funny that, you know, Mario leaves and you and I agree on this. I don't think he maximized Oregon by any means, but right. I mean, they won, what, two or three Pac-12 championships? So, like, they were still running the Pac-12 out there. Right. Um, but the fact that he's gone now, there's really no major threat to USC. <laughs> so, Lincoln Riley goes from Oklahoma Oklahoma to USC. You know, this is heavily influenced by transfers, but they end up with a top-10 class, uh, USC does, for this, you know, transfers and recruits combined on 24-7. So, a top-10 class, only signed eight high school guys, but, you know, you get Caleb Williams, a little bit helpful, <laughs> right? So, number one quarterback from last year's class. Uh, That'll play. That'll play. I mean, even big like Travis Dye, Oregon. He was a ridiculously good running back this year for Oregon. He transfers in. Of course, Mario Williams from Oklahoma. He transfers in. So, you got some major players. My question for Lincoln Riley is, can he recruit on the line of scrimmage? That has been USC's problem since, you know, Clay Helton was there. They've not been good in the line of scrimmage. If they can do that, they're going to be dangerous. But I do think with his style offense, and again, it's not like the Pac-12 is the SEC West by by any means, uh, they can compete immediately this year. Utah's a big threat in the South, but it would not surprise me at all if Lincoln Riley goes in and wins wins the Pac-12 in in year one. Um, Pumped to see what Lincoln Riley does at USC. 
Now, there's an interesting trend going around on Twitter saying that every year under Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma got a little bit worse. And I've seen some stats to back that up. SP Plus halfway agrees. You know, our friend Kelly Ford, which we will post that episode. Oh, yeah. Wait, did we not post Kelly Ford? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, Was that not also reactions to the uh, playoff rankings? <laughs> yes, that's what that was. But it'll be a great discussion on best versus most deserving. Regardless, timeless discussion. Uh, yeah, on his rankings, Oklahoma did a little bit of this up and down under under Lincoln Riley. Um, but interesting discussion. Regardless, I think he makes a splash at USC, and it was just funny. I, I was convinced he was going to get at LSU. I'm like, there's got to be smoke around him wanting to go somewhere. LSU is a big upgrade job-wise usc is also a big upgrade job-wise because if you can get half of the kids in southern california to stay home you're gonna have a top five class every year <laughs> i mean every year so big get for usc i'm excited to see what lincoln Riley's going to do there and then yeah mario cristobal to miami cristobal goes down there and of course miami's a private school so we're not going to get uh all the numbers but Hey, Chip Patterson coined it, the Crypto Bros. He got the money flowing at Miami again, and that's a good thing for Miami. Same thing with USC. If you can get a third of those kids to stay home in Miami, you're going to have a top five class. Because right now, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, like all these schools are going into South Florida and just taking whoever they want out of South Florida. Like, So at the same time, Miami's got this going for them. At the same time, you know, FSU is going into year three of a major rebuild. Mm-hmm. Um, Florida just fired their head coach. You're one of Billy Napier. Now you have Mario Cristobal coming in. So he's the only one with power five head coaching experience prior to their job. So, I mean, like, what a time to come in and just lock down Miami. You already have a leg up on the other in-state, excuse me, the other in-state schools. So pumped to see what Miami's going to do. They've hired some really good recruiters on their staff, mm-hmm. which, again, what do we say about Georgia this year? Stars matter. Gosh, if you just accumulate talent, coach them up a little bit, you, you're going to win a lot of games. You cannot out-coach 6'4", 280, 4'4". Like, you can't out-coach that. It's impossible. Right. <laughs> like, I think Shane Beamer said it best after he played Georgia. You know, they got four first-rounders on the defensive line. You can't, like, it's hard to out-scheme that. So, Again, two schools I'm excited for because of the splash they made with their head coaching hire and the the potential they have to be really good at recruiting. So I'm excited to see how it plays out, Daniel. But, hey, we got a lot more to come this offseason. Two episodes you will hear that were recorded this past season that just got <laughs> lost in the shuffle. So one with Kelly Ford, two kind of stat episodes. Kelly Ford has his own ranking system. Um uh, similar to SP Plus, uses advanced metrics and stuff like that. But we, we had a really good discussion about best versus most deserving and which one should be in the top four of playoff rankings. So I thought that was a really good discussion. And then uh, Parker Fleming uh, at Stats of War on Twitter. We had a really good conversation with him this season just about advanced metrics. You know, I, I feel like we throw these out sometimes, and I know I didn't have the best understanding of them before diving in. And so we just had a really good conversation with him about kind of the some of the advanced metrics that we look at, you and I, Daniel, um, some of the stuff that he looks at. Really, we just handed him the mic and let him talk because he's the expert. So that was a really good episode as well. Those will oh, be yeah. dropping very shortly after this episode, but we're back, Daniel. 
we're back. Let's do it. So if you have content you'd like to hear, hey, tell us. We're on Twitter. Daniel's at Deep South Daniel. I'm at Jacob Carnes with a K. Tweet us something you want to hear about. Go on Apple Podcasts. It was a five-star review. In that review, tell us what you want to hear. And we will record a podcast on that during the, the off-season. I know. Sorry, Josh Pate. Uh, you can also leave us a five-star review now on Spotify. Can't write a review, but you can leave us five stars on Spotify. Be sure to do that as well. But, Daniel, any closing thoughts? Our first podcast back? This feels good. This feels right. Feels right. Um, I'll just mention, like, you mentioned those head coaching moves, and I feel like it still only scratches the surface of the movement that's happened. We're really excited to jump into it, but, you know, we did our top 10 jobs, you know, top 10 – I think we uh, have to revisit that. We'll have to look at it again, but that's one thing. It's just like how many of those top 10 jobs opened up this year, whether directly because of a firing or something like that or indirectly from their coach leaving for another school – um, just remarkable. So all of that movement makes for a really fun off season, preseason, and then spring season, summer that's season, all, that's all, you know, in season will be amazing because we'll be able to stack these guys up one by one next to each other and see what happens. So very excited. Love it. Well, Hey, that will do it for this edition of the extra point. He is Daniel. I'm Jacob. See you.